Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 21. Jesus continues speaking. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or look, he is there. Do not believe it for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed. See, I have told you all things beforehand. There really are two kinds of people in the world, those that love the appearing of Jesus and those that are apathetic or indifferent or even despairing when they think about Jesus coming back. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus gives two prophecies and two parables. The first prophecy concerned the Jewish temple. The second prophecy concerns the Jewish tribulation. The first parable is about a fig tree in verses 28 through 31. The second parable is about a group of alert servants who are watchful and vigilant because of the task at hand as they prepare both their hearts to welcome the master's return. Jesus has spoken of the appearance of false messiahs in verse 4 and 5 and 6. Worldwide wars in verse 7 and 8. Persecution of the godly in verse 9 and verse 12 and verse 13. The worldwide proclamation of the gospel in verse 10. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in verse 11. The desecration of the temple in verse 14, 15 and 16. Unprecedented horror in verses 17, 18, 19, 20. These things will trigger a frantic search for someone who will prevent the extermination of the Jewish people and even the extermination of the human race in verses 21 and 22. The world will look not only for a Messiah... But they will insist on a Messiah who can deliver them from God's judgment. The problem, the problem is the world will look for a Messiah who's not the true Christ, who's not the living Lord, but instead the Antichrist. Who comes with signs and lying wonders to a world willing to embrace a deceiver because they're going, this deceiver is going to invite them to believe in a savior who avoids a cross, who doesn't have to deal with the problem of sin. And so in this passage, Jesus warns of three things. Number one, the arrival of false prophets and false messiahs. Number two, with what appears to be supernatural or extraordinary powers. And number three, the manifestation of these signs and powers are so convincing that even the elect appear to be threatened, inundated, deceived, By these counterfeit powers. And so these events are of such importance. Jesus says that it's important that you receive advance warning. And Mark chapter 13 serves as an early warning system. 
And so look again at Mark 13, 21, a warning concerning messianic pretenders. It says that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Look, he is there. Jesus says, do not believe it. Remember what's happened. Desperate for safety. People look for a Messiah or a deliverer. And remember the events of the first half of the tribulation. That period of time that will come upon the the whole earth. When God will judge the earth. It will leave the world devastated. And it will leave the world in a panic. For those of you who can remember even just a little while ago. There was a devastating tsunami that originated in the Indian Ocean. Its devastating flood went west to the African coast, east to, to, to Indonesia, north to, to um, the, the Indian Peninsula. In that whole area, within six minutes, 200,000 people perished in a matter of six minutes. The flood came in and the bodies floated out. What happened after Hurricane Katrina? We saw a hundred thousand people displaced by a storm. What's happening right now in the east coast of the United States as Hurricane Sandy has pounded the coast of New Jersey, Staten Island and New York? FEMA quoted yesterday that they've run out of water and there are people right at this very moment who still have no electricity, still have no water, still have no place to to stay. Now, I want you to think about this. Think of the animosity, the pain, the anger as husbands and wives and families desperately scramble to find something to eat and some place to live. Think of the wars. Think of the famines. Think of the earthquakes. Think of the horrors that we've already seen in the first part of this chapter. And now you understand. That under that kind of pain and under those kinds of circumstances, people look for a deliverer. And by the way, after Jesus spoke these words to Peter, James, John and Andrew, remember, he's only a few days away from a cruel death and a miraculous resurrection. Within two generations, Roman armies will march on Jerusalem. They will destroy the walls and they will kill the inhabitants within As a matter of fact, a few decades after that, during the time of Hadrian in 131 to 134, during that reign of Emperor Hadrian, a counterfeit messianic movement blossomed as literally a million Jews returned to the to the Holy Land. And they there was a second revolt. A messianic pretender named Simon Bar Kokhba lured these Jewish people into a circumstance which would literally result in their death. History reveals false Christs in the past, false Christs in the present. And Jesus reminds us that there's going to be another messianic pretender in the not too distant future. Now, again, imagine a world where wars have taken an extraordinary toll. The destruction of the apostate church has begun. The murder of most of God's preachers. There is a global panic. And in the midst of this global panic, there is this vacuum of people desperate for answers, desperate for hope, desperate for peace. The same is true even today. It doesn't take a whole lot of pain or frustration. 
It doesn't take a whole lot of deprivation for people to believe things and want things because of the immediate circumstances that they face. They just want a way out. And so they're willing to trust someone who's not God and they're willing to trust someone who's not the savior. And it's on that scene that an antichrist appears. He guarantees the peace of the Middle East. He makes his headquarters in Jerusalem after what seems like a miraculous salvation of Israel from a coalition invasion that takes place as forces mount and they sweep towards Israel and they are supernaturally delivered. Imagine, imagine what happens when he makes this guarantee. So when Jesus says, then, then, under those circumstances, if anyone says to you, hey, look, here's the Christ. Look, he is there. Don't believe him. He's warning the disciples of the appearance of a future Messiah. But remember what he's saying, that this isn't going to be a secret. That that Messiah isn't just simply going to come out of a hiding place and make himself known. That this Messiah who really comes, the, the real Messiah who comes, it's going to be literal and dramatic and global and powerful. Believers know that the second coming of Jesus is going to include a trumpet, the voice of an angel. The dead in Christ will rise first. Again, Andrew, Peter, James and John, they will witness the death of Jesus. They will witness the resurrection of Jesus. They will even witness the ascension of Jesus into heaven. In Acts chapter one, verse nine, it says that while they watched, he, that's Jesus, was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. The next verse, Acts chapter one, verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up behold two men stood by him in white apparel verse 11 who said men of Galilee why do you stand gazing up into heaven this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven literal physical corporeal personal Jesus will return for his church And then he will return with his church. Jesus will return for Israel to accomplish the unfulfilled prophecies. And Jesus will come to the planet Earth to judge the nations, to destroy this present world system. He will inaugurate a new world system based on Messiah's righteous reign. You see, the real Jesus envisions a real government of truth and justice. The true king of kings, the true Lord of lords, he won't have an R after his name and he won't have a D after his name. He'll have a J after his name. Jewish Messiah. He comes in glory. Now, by the way, when the Watchtower and Track Society tell you that Jesus returned invisibly in 1914, 17, 1914, don't believe it. When people tell you that there is a deliverer and he's coming out of the desert, he's coming from the north, he's coming from the south, he's coming from the east, he's coming from the west. Don't you believe it? He's coming from straight up. The Jews await a future Messiah. Every time I go to Israel, rabbis will typically ask me, 
We believe that that the Messiah is coming for the first time. You believe that Messiah is coming for the second time. We're about to find out. No kidding, we're about to find out. The Muslims await a future Messiah. In 2006, the president of Iran, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, sent a greeting to the Christian world. These are his words, quote, I wish all the Christians a very happy new year and I wish to ask them a question as well. He says, and I quote, my one question from the Christians is, what would Jesus do if he were present in the world today? What would he do before some of the oppressive powers of the world who are in fact residing in Christian countries? Which powers would he revive and which of them would he destroy? If Jesus were present today, who would be facing him and who would be following him? Unquote. This president thinks that he is a man of God and that he is ushering in God's kingdom. And he says, if you don't think I have a sense of humor, let me explain. I will kill you and burn your flag. Oh, you don't think I'm funny, huh? No, I'm just kidding. He he didn't say that. (laughs) Here's what he did say. Ahmadinejad made a connection between Esau, Jesus, And a figure that they call the Imam, the Mahdi, believed by the Shiites to have appeared as a child, as a direct descendant of Muhammad in 941. And then he went into hiding. And when the Mahdi returns, the Iranian leader and others believe he will reign on the earth for seven years before bringing in a final judgment in the end of the world. Ahmadinejad then said, quote, all I want to say is that the age of hardship and the age of threat and the age of spite will come to an end someday. And God calling and God willing, Jesus will return to the world along with the emergence of the descendant of the Islam's holy prophet, Imam Mahdi, and wipe out every tinge of oppression and pain and agony from the face of the earth, unquote. In October 2005, Iran hosted a conference that they entitled The World Without Zionism. He urged Iranians to prepare for the coming of the Mahdi by turning Iran into a powerful, advanced Islamic nation. He says that Tehran and Iran will be the instrument that God will use to awaken a united Muslim republic. He sees his main mission to give the path for the glorious reappearance of Imam Mahdi and may Allah hasten his reappearance. That's his own words. Some have suggested that Ahmadinejad's real desire is to set the world stage for the appearance at his world without Zionism. He suggested that the Holocaust was a myth and he called for Israel to be wiped off the map. Here's a quote. This is him speaking, quote, the Zionist regime will be wiped out soon. And the way in which the Soviet Union disappeared and humanity will achieve final Freedom. His idea of freedom is the extinction of the Jewish people in the, in the Jewish state. But make no mistake about it, it also includes the extinction of you in the United States. According to Muslim beliefs, 
about the end of the world, they believe that a figure will appear, not just the Imam Mahdi, but another character called the Dajjal. The Dajjal is the Antichrist figure in Muslim theology. In their theology, the Dajjal will be a Jew born in Iran. According to them, through multiple sources, he will be born to a couple who were childless for 30 years. They claim he will only have one eye. He will claim to be a prophet, claim to be divine, seek to be worshipped, deceive people through miracles, conquer the whole world except for Mecca and Medina, and with a large army reign for 40 days, and each day will seem like a year. In the Muslim way of thinking, the Messiah or the Mahdi will be a descendant of Muhammad. He will come riding a white horse. He will bring global deliverance from the reign of the Antichrist, the Dajjal, he will conquer and slaughter the Jews. And after conquering and slaughtering the Jews, he will put place his headquarters in Jerusalem and reign there for seven years. Isn't that interesting? In other words, in their way of thinking, it is as if not God by his Holy Spirit, but rather a, a wicked spirit has prepared the hearts and minds of Muslims all over the world, not for Jesus Christ, but for the Antichrist. So how do Muslims view Jesus? They see him as the prophet of Allah. They see him as a lesser prophet than Muhammad. They see Jesus as a sinless man, a messenger of God, but not the son of God in human flesh. He wasn't really crucified, according to to Islam. He wasn't really resurrected from the dead. He didn't ascend into heaven. According to Islam theology, in what was the greatest switch of all time, Judas switched places with Jesus in that he died. And that Jesus himself was taken directly into heaven by Allah, like Elijah, the prophet, or like Enoch, the prophet, that he didn't sacrifice for sin. He didn't atone for the sins of humanity. They believe that he will come back to the Mount of Olives, join the Mahdi and submit himself to the Mahdi, slay all those who reject Islam, kill the Dajjal, see the annihilation of the Jews. They believe that Jesus, Isa, will reign for 40 years after the death of the Mahdi. Assume control of the Islamic global empire, bring global blessing and peace on the earth, marry and have children, that he will die and that he will be buried next to Muhammad in Medina and that he, along with all the righteous, will be resurrected at the end of time. That's their view. Jesus warns in verse 22, look what it says for false Christ. False prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Throughout church history, false Christs and false prophets have arrived like clockwork. The signs and wonders that they work are meant to deceive. In what way? From the true gospel. That sin isn't a problem and that Jesus isn't the satisfying solution to the problem of sin. And look carefully at the expression when he says to deceive translated. The old King James translates this seduce. It's the potent compound word 
apo, planeo. It's translated to deceive here. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it means to lead astray. It means to throw something off course, to mislead through trickery, to steer away. Part of the point of the passage is that you can't divorce the teacher's signs from the teacher's message. When someone does something supernatural, the immediate question isn't what is the source of that supernatural manifestation? It has to be what is this person saying? And what is this supposed to confirm? As a matter of fact, First Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 warns us that false Christs and false prophets serve as the mouthpiece of Satan to promote doctrines of demons. I heard the story of a little girl who will remain anonymous. Who developed the bad habit of persistent lying. And once she was given a St. Bernard dog for her birthday and she went and told her friends and neighbors that it was a lion. And her mother took it aside and said, honey, remember what I told you? I told you that you cannot lie. Now go upstairs and tell God that you're sorry. And so the mother said, promise God you won't lie again. And so the little girl went upstairs and said her prayers. And then she came back down again. And her mom said, did you tell God that you're sorry? And the little girl replied, said, yes, I did. And, and God said, sometimes he finds it hard to tell the difference between my dog and a lion. Isn't it funny how we hold on, how we want to hold on to a fiction. We want to hold on to a dream. We want to hold on to a lie. And there's no bigger lie. There is no bigger lie than to believe that you can have a right relationship with God apart from Jesus. That you can experience forgiveness of sin apart from Jesus. That heaven is your ultimate destination apart from Jesus. There are people who desperately hold on to the lie. And the foolishness that Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead can't be the only way to God. And even if the false messiahs and the false Christ perform supernatural wonders and they will. The elect won't be fooled. The elect can't be deceived. Remember, the elect will realize that these false miracles are not the product of God's character and God's power. The Holy Spirit is not the source of these supernatural manifestations, but a counterfeit spirit, a demonic spirit, a satanic spirit. You see, not all miracles have their source in the Holy Spirit. We know that counterfeit spirits can produce counterfeit signs and counterfeit wonders from Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 through 12, Revelation chapter 13 verses 13 and 14. 
You see, miracles are not always proof of divine calling or even God's approval. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, where the invitation is given that if a person says something that is inconsistent with the character of God, with the word of God and the revelation of God, that that person's message is to be rejected, even if it's accompanied by a so-called miracle. The ultimate test is always, what does the Bible say? What has God said about this subject? In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, John writing says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, even the Spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God, this is the Spirit of the Antichrist, who you heard was coming and now is already in the world. When I was a little kid growing up, there were two favorite times in my life. It was after school cartoons and Saturday morning cartoons. So I go to school, first grade, second grade. Here's what you do. You go to school, you come home, you turn on the TV and you watch Rocky and Bullwinkle. Because it's thrilling. There's Rocky and Bullwinkle having exciting adventures. And at the beginning, they would always talk about... Fun and excitement and supernatural fun and games and spirits would show up and Rocky would say to Bowwinkle, are they friendly? And Bowwinkle would always say, sure. And after all, when you're in the first and the second grade and it's a cartoon, you believe what the cartoon is saying. You simply accept what is being said without any maturity Without any discrimination. And so many people are willing to believe whatever they hear on the TV or whatever they hear from a campaign ad. Five point seven billion dollars have been spent trying to persuade you to elect a future president. Ten thousand ads ran this weekend. Ten thousand ads. One out of every nine negative. And they make claims. But the truth is, if you're going to check the claims, you're going to have to go to factcheck.org to see what these people are saying, to see whether or not it's true. And doesn't it make sense to you when John says, believe not every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether or not they're from God, that the test, the ultimate test is what are these people saying about Jesus? Who is he in his life and in his death? Did he come in the flesh? In other words, did a real God become a human being, both God and man to suffer and die for the sins of humanity? Because in Anyone who denies that, they're speaking not from the power of God, but from the power of Satan. And that the man of sin would have satanic power to perform satanic miracles. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses three and four. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day? The day of the end, the day of judgment. That day will not come. That will not come unless the falling away comes first. The apostasy, the man of sin is revealed. He's also called the son of perdition. 
Only two people are called the son of perdition in the Bible. Judas, who betrays Jesus, and this Antichrist figure. And he describes him who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is a person who claims to be God in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan in Second Thessalonians. With all power, with all signs and lying wonders. Ron Rhodes writes, quote, just as true prophets are inspired by the Holy Spirit, so the false prophet is inspired by an unholy spirit, Satan. As Ed Henson points out, quote, he looks religious, but he talks like the devil. And this is why in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist has the appearance of a lamb. But he has the voice of a dragon. John MacArthur writes, quote, he will speak winsome, deceiving words of praise about the Antichrist luring the world to worship that vile, satanic dictator. Wilmington writes, the last half of the tribulation period will be highlighted by such affliction. But for God's grace, the whole world would be destroyed. And by such deception from Satan and the Antichrist, that virtually the whole world will be fooled into following him. And people who are desperate, people who are empty, people who are hungry, people who are facing challenges will fall prey. Some Bible teachers have speculated that the Antichrist might be able to fake his own assassination and what looks like a supernatural resurrection from the dead. Imagine a leader who can fake his own death and resurrection. Imagine it's seen by the whole world. Imagine it goes through every single channel, all of the uh, of the television stations on the Internet, everywhere. Every time and every single person is able to witness the event in Revelation chapter 13, verses 13 through 15. It says it speaking of this beast performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven. That's what Elijah was able to do. Elijah was able to call fire down from heaven and burn the false prophets. It says in Revelation Making fire come down from heaven in front of people and the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast. When you see beast, read Antichrist. It deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image of the beast. That's the Antichrist that was wounded. Listen, that was wounded by the sword yet lived. What? This being will receive a mortal wound that looks Fatal, but somehow survive. When I was a very young man, there was a horrendous thing that happened that we witnessed on TV. It was in November of 1963. You'll remember the Zabruder film showed John F. Kennedy being shot. There was a shot and then there was another shot. And you could see even on the film part of his head disappear. 
Imagine you took the body. Imagine you rushed it to a Dallas hospital. Imagine you put it on a gurney. Imagine you pronounce him dead. Imagine you put him in a casket. Imagine you take a horse and you take him to Washington, D.C. And you put him in the rotunda. And there is his casket draped with a flag. And it comes open and he comes out of the casket. What would people think? How would they respond? What would they do? If a person could fake their own death and their own resurrection. Doesn't it make sense to you that this could be the very deception that would invite a watching world to believe these messianic claims? And what's the source of this supernatural power? In Revelation... It's described as it performs great signs. The word is mega. You know that word. When something is huge, we use the term mega to describe it. We're not talking about gold fillings in your teeth. We're not talking about gold dust sprinkling all around you. We're not talking about lengthening legs. We're not talking about some sort of supernatural nonsense. We're talking about something compelling. So compelling That a watching world believes that it's true. So compelling that he seems to be able to mock and imitate the miracles of Elijah. And the two witnesses who are mentioned in Revelation chapter 11 verse 5. And apparently, look what it says, breathe life into the image. An image will be placed in a rebuilt temple. And it will be animated. And the whole world will watch. Now imagine a law, a global law, that stipulates that no one can buy, no one can sell, no one can work, no one can obtain the necessities of life unless they carry a special permit, a mark on their right hand or on their forehead which identifies you as a member of this global world order. This last weekend, I got a text from, uh, that was posted at Drudge that FEMA had run out of water on the East Coast. Staten Island. Manhattan, New Jersey, you saw the lines as people go for miles and miles awaiting gas. But imagine, imagine a world where you don't get to eat. You don't have the provision. There's no place to live and there's no heating. There's no way to provide for your family unless you take this mark. You can see how easy it will be for people to cave As a mother watches her children starve or as a father watches his family cry out for help. And who are the elect? These are the people who are chosen by God. Chosen for what? They are chosen by God in Christ. For what? For salvation, for redemption, for preservation. In the broadest theological sense, it means those who are elect, chosen by God in Christ Jesus during these difficult days. In the more narrow and specific sense, I think that it refers to those saints saved during this incredibly difficult time. But look what Jesus says in verse 23. But take heed. See. I have told you all things beforehand. Jesus repeats the warning. Remember what Jesus is told. 
Matthew, excuse me, Peter, James, John, Andrew. Jesus has told his disciples, don't be deceived, verses 1 through 8. Don't be afraid, verses 9 through 14. Don't be ignorant of what the Bible teaches, verse 14 and verse 23. Why? Because people are incredibly gullible. And so in order to resist being deceived, you have to have healthy doses of the truth. How do you not be afraid? You've got to have the comfort that comes from having a right relationship with God and Christ. Don't be ignorant about what the scriptures teach. How do you do that? You need to make Bible study a priority. I'm looking around at all the empty seats, and I get really frustrated. Not because I want every seat to be filled in order to come and hear me speak. But if ever there was a time when people needed to know the word of God, it's now. If ever there was a time when people needed to make understanding, knowing, believing, and loving God's word a priority, it's now. Jesus says, what will happen? Look what it says. See, I've told you all things In advance, beforehand, what things? Apostasy, the rise of false prophets leading people astray. Anarchy, wars break out. Apathy, the love of many grow cold. Affliction, believers are hated and they are betrayed and they are martyred. Accomplishment, the gospel is preached to all the nations. So when you see apostasy, response... Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Anarchy, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Apathy, Lord, awaken my frozen heart. Awaken out of its sleep so I can love your appearing. Jesus warned about the destruction of the Jewish temple in verses 1 and 2. The appearance of the Messiah's verses 4 through 6. The world wars 7 and 8. Persecution of the righteous, verse 9. Universal preaching of the gospel, verse 10. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, verse 11. The desecration of the fourth, uh, the third temple, verses 14 through 16. Unprecedented horror, verses 17 through 20. False rumors about a Savior showing up. I told you warned you in advance. Some Jews will defect and follow the Antichrist. In Matthew 24.10, it says, And then shall many be offended, and they shall betray one another, and they will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise, and they'll deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. You know what it means when iniquity abounds? It means when goodness and grace have disappeared. What happened? How could we live in a world where 50 million babies get aborted? How, how did this happen? How, how in the world did it happen that we came to define marriage as something other than the union between a man and a woman? What happened? How can you grow up in a world where marijuana becomes legal and there are more medical marijuana dispensaries than there are Starbucks? 
You're kidding me, right? No, I'm not kidding you. I wish it wasn't the truth. Are you telling me not to vote for medical marijuana? You vote any way you want. You know, the Bible does say, after all, behold, the herb of the field. And he saw that it was good. I don't think that that's what that passage means. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9 says, and I'll bring a third part through the fire. I'll refine them as silver is refined and I will try them as gold is tried and they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say. This is my people. And they will say. It's the Lord. The Lord is my God. You know, in the worst, worst, worst days of World War Two. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned for taking a stand against Hitler. He continued to urge his fellow believers to resist the tyranny of the Nazis, to resist them. And a group of Christians believing Hitler was the Antichrist asked Bonhoeffer, Why do you expose yourself to all this danger? Jesus will return any day and all your work and all of your suffering will be for nothing. And Bonhoeffer replied, if Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow I'll rest from my labor. But today I have work to do. I will continue the struggle until it's finished. You see, the early believers weren't looking for something to happen. They were looking for someone to come. Looking for the train to arrive is not the same as looking for the person who's riding the train who you love. Waiting for the plane to arrive is not the same as waiting for the person to come off the plane who you have missed so much, who you have prayed for so much. Are you looking for something to happen? Or are you looking for someone to come? This is what the Bible means at the end of the book of Revelation when John the Apostle says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do you love his appearing? Do you delight in his coming or despair? For the judgment that's coming on the earth. No wonder Jesus said. Look what it says. Take heed. I've told you all these things beforehand. The voice of Jesus is a voice of comfort, isn't it? The voice of Jesus is a voice of guidance, isn't it? The voice of Jesus is Comforting and guiding and warning. The voice of Jesus is an inviting voice. Come to me, all you who labor and they are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The voice of Jesus is a pleading voice. If any man hear my voice, it says in Revelation 3.20. But it's also a voice of warning. See, 
I've told you all these things before it happens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, the scriptures say that your sheep hear your voice. Lord, we pray that that's exactly what would happen. That we would hear your voice. A voice described in Revelation 115 as the voice of many waters. Lord, that we would hear the voice like Saul did. A voice crying from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The voice of conviction. The voice begging us to turn from our sin. And to turn to the Savior. Heavenly Father, we pray, we pray, we pray that we would not look for social answers to spiritual problems, but that we would recognize, Lord, that sin is still a problem at the, and the only solution to the problem of sin is a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. And so again, Lord, we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our life. Lord, we pray that you would awaken in our heart a deep desire to see him come. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.